0: tell me if you remember. Me if remember no telling if you remember yeah i'll never forget i'll never forget yeah. welcome to the hashtag #altscene podcast the show focuses on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations communities and events Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Hashtag Call the Scene um, podcast. Today, my guest is Andre Brock. Um, pronouns him,
1: his, he. Would you please introduce yourself to the audience, Andre? Hi, my name is Andre Brock. I'm an associate professor of uh, Black Digital Media at Georgia Institute of Technology here in Atlanta, Georgia.
0: All right. So we always start with two questions. Why is it important to cause the scene? And how are you causing the scene?
1: It's important for me to cause a scene in the work that I do, uh, because I study Black people and digital environments. Uh, I've been doing it since the early 2000s, and one of the things that has been of note to me is that we're often erased from technological narratives, particularly around computing, and if we're not erased, we're often put in a space where we're deemed not sufficient or not appropriate to use those technologies.
0: And how are you causing
1: a scene? Uh, My research since that time has been dedicated towards showing that we indeed uh, are, uh, in my recent book, I call it natural uh, internet users, uh, that our facility and our our joy at using the internet come from the ways that we interact with the world. And as such, we tend to bring an excess of life to wherever we are. Uh, On the internet, that translates in multiple ways, whether it's dance videos or black Twitter, or our political activism uh, during Ferguson and uh, later later moments of social injustice.
0: Okay, so we're just going to dive into this. You, y'all know how I do this. Um, so you said erased from techno- technological narratives or <laughs> positioned as <laughs> inadequate. I need you to talk about that because I need to know if you, in first of all, I want you to say more about that. Because again, my audience is mainly white folks and I need them to understand what the fuck they doing. Um, Hello,
1: white people.
0: Yes, hello, white people. Welcome to my world. And also, if you have any historical precedent of like, when did this happen? Was it always this way? Was there, because, and and what's popping in my head, it reminds, the question I'm trying to answer is when video games first came came out, they were non-gendered. They were everybody play video games, and mm-hmm. then, all of a sudden, they start gendering games mm-hmm. um and having the narrative of girls don't play games when that was never the truth. Right. Um, so I'm trying to see if this erasure from technical narrative and this this narrative that blacks aren't capable has it has it always been there, and then or. Was it not there? And then, just like we saw with um, um, Hidden Figures, and where, where where we learned that women were actually computer were in heavily in computing, and then were pushed out. So mm-hmm. that's the that's the one I'm trying to figure out. Is this something this erasure of blacks in technical narrative was it from the beginning, or did it get, or did it happen?
1: Okay. Uh, I'm gonna go way back. I'm gonna open up the way back machine. Oh, please,
0: because I believe in history. Because we learn we, these people need to learn from fucking history. Their history is warped as hell, and we need to know what the hell. Because again, white supremacy is the is the parasite that's now eaten its host. Because white people have never had to examine um, themselves, their history, they're the default. So you don't know anything. So um, uh, I to drink to that. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, Professor, uh, is it Doctor or Professor? It's Andre. OK. Oh, all right. See, I, but I try to give my black folks our titles because I we earned that. them and people don't that. often give them to us. We're strict. You know what so. they call them,
1: a black person with a Ph.D.
0: Exactly. So. There you go. So uh, Andre here going to break down to you ignorant folks what the hell is going on. So let's go.
1: So um, I'm and I'm pulling here from multiple sources and I'll try to give them credit where I can. So uh, an, uh, Arthur, an author that I follow named Ramona Morrow talks about the concept of the black technical object right and it's the idea drawing upon uh strains of afro pessimism that we are always to be acted upon in any technical system we never have any agency and i bring that up first because one of the first ways that black folk entered this era of modernity uh, in 1619 or so um, was that we were brought to be labor uh from africa to the the americas right uh, and in the process of justifying that labor, they the white white folk had to do two things. One, they had to work us as hard as we could, work us harder than they would work people who look like them because they didn't believe in us, but at the same time, create a narrative that we weren't good at work, right? That we were always lazy, that we were always trifling, that we were dumb. And so the work that they imposed upon us was somehow good for us, right? And so. This this is where I start talking about the black technical object, particularly in relation to sugar plantations. Um, One of the things that's really interesting when you look at that history is that uh, in many cases, those black bodies were the first bodies that principles of scientific management were enacted upon. So where Amazon right now is having computers uh, basically... Uh, push workers to work faster and faster by saying you should be able to pick so many items an hour, which is not, which I always find really um, ironic, right? They're still picking stuff like they did back in the day, right? Uh, and so those principles that were honed and made into algorithms now were started on slave plantations, because a plantation is one of the first modern machines, right? It's, it's designed to extract as much labor as possible from from bodies right, to produce goods, which can then be sold as resources or as finished goods to uh, other countries or other institutions. And in the process of doing so, uh, the black bodies were tabulated uh, based on their reproductive capacity, based on their labor capacity. They were also tested, A-B testing. If you're a techie, you know about A-B testing where you try to institute two different ways of addressing a problem or producing information and see which one is more efficient those, they did that to black bodies and punished the one who lost by whipping right uh, and in that and and so I bring this up because at the same time that these black bodies were being used for testing there were black artisans right uh, they were the ones who kept the machines running uh, at the time sugar mills were really complex machinery but they didn't have the advanced capacity for making um, the parts that go into it so there were black black there were enslaved blacksmiths there were enslaved Millers uh, there were slave coopers who made barrels. All these black folk were essential to running the, the plantation, right? And they were super skilled. They were so skilled, in fact, that the their owners would lend them out to surrounding plantations in the towns so that those laborers could make a little extra change on the side, right? So this concept of the black technical object really kind of just follows along uh, as technology become more and more uh, advanced, but also more and more networked, right? And so Hidden Figures is a really good example. By the time we get to the 50s and 60s, white universities had start letting um, uh, black folk attend one by one. If you think of um, the dude Meredith who attended University of Alabama or other folk, right? Um, they were letting folk in one by one to achieve those courses while at the same time, historically black universities were training these immensely skilled mathematicians and doctors and the like. And those folk made their way into the various tech industries. Hidden Figures is really fascinating because it revealed that there was a lot of Christianity, masculinity, and misogyny embodied in white men that held those women back from doing what they're doing to the point where those enterprises almost failed, right? But because those men spent so much time believing that black people were not capable of doing the work, Right. we not did not have the temperament to do the rational calculations they needed. They shot themselves in the foot, to use your phrase earlier. Where I came in is that I started looking at digital divide research, which really began in the mid 90s, following the Telecommunications Act of 1996, uh, which deemed that telecommunications uh, was should be a universal service, meaning everybody in the house should have had a telephone. Right. Uh, and. Just like Brown v. Board, the telecom companies dragged their ass on putting that telephone service in various neighborhoods, right? Uh, in many cases, some of, some black neighborhoods didn't get fully fu- didn't get the highest rate of phone service until closer to two thousand two thousand five, right? Uh, at the same time, they did this Telecom Act. The internet was jumping up. Uh, the browser, the first usable browser, was invented at the University of Illinois ninety six, called the Mosaic browser which later became Netscape, right? And at the same time, the authorities that be were saying, well, look at these Black black people. They're teaching each other Ebonics. Uh, They have low rates of literacy because of environmental segregation and discrimination. Uh, They don't work as hard because we believe in this culture of poverty uh, that came through from the uh, sociologists, right? And Daniel Moynihan. So of course they won't be able to use technology. And my own intervention was, Growing up in the, in New York in the mid-90s as a young adult, uh, I saw black folk using technology every day. We had Tribe Called Quest talking about do you know the importance of a sky pager, right? We had uh, black technologists building stuff like um, um, New York Online, which was Omar Wasau, the creator of Black Planet. That was his first initiative in Brooklyn connecting urban um, communities of color. So it felt really foolish to me Uh, both as having my own computer from the late 80s and then seeing people in New York using the technologies around them, the information technologies to communicate, uh, both in art and in everyday life. It (laughs) felt foolish for me to say, how can we just be technical objects when it's clear we have mastery and we have become technical (laughs) subjects, right? And so it's a really interesting, in my work, I try to weave together these historical and these uh, histories of technology, but also black culture to, to get folks to understand that we have we have on, long been operated on as technological objects, even while being dependent upon to be technological subjects. In fact, one of the things I talk about uh, for my students, and I'm at Tech, so they insta- re- instantly recognize this phrase, is rigging. Um, I was raised in Louisiana, um, and so the term we use is N-word rigging. Um, more white people may be familiar with it, with the word Jerry rigging. I don't know who Jerry is. Uh, (laughs) Um, but for me, rigging, especially inward rigging, uh, is about the capacity to make something work that should not work anymore. You use your ingenuity, your drive, your need to have something get done in order to make those things work. And so we've always been expert with, with technologies. I just want, in my work, I extend that expertise to digital practice as well.
0: Okay, you said a
1: whole fuckload. I mean, I'm just trying to keep up with you, boo.
0: N- man, I'm taking notes. Cause I'm just like, okay, so black technical object. Oh my God, the enterprise almost failed. Do we not see that constantly in mm-hmm. um, the fact of when people want to talk about, oh, why do we have to have inclusion? And in, why, why are we spending our time on inclusion and diversity? Cause your shit's gonna blow up. It's not going to be <laughs> successful. This is an information knowledge <laughs> economy. We're not making widgets, you dipshit. You need mm-hmm. to know what's in my head so that you can take that out of my head and scale that within your organization so that you can be innovative and competitive. That's why you need inclusion and diversity, you dumbass. It's not something nice to have. It is, ah. Oh. Um, and then, who and I'm going to say it. You say N-word. Yeah, nigger rigging. I know what nigger, my dad. Mm, mm. Of my grandpa you know. good god almighty so my dad passed away in 2014 i actually had to have my uncle come through this house because my dad nigger rigged so much stuff <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> just
0: to make it work
1: <laughs> he had to repair the repairs oh
0: my word though how he had hit, hooked up the washing machine to, to, to run i was like what is and i and because he was in the house, we just made it work. But if mm-hmm. it but if he wasn't he was no longer here to make that work, I had to think of other ways. So I Come end right. up getting nigger rig. Because I ain't bought a new uh, washing machine. It works. We <laughs> not figured out how to make it work. <laughs> they also call it country rig, too, because my family's mm-hmm. my dad's family is from the country. And my grandfather, Lord have mercy, he built he was a carpenter and he built he built his house. You can go into that house right now and turn on a light. And it turned on something from somewhere else. you be like your granddaddy. What the hell were you
1: thinking? <laughs> but the shit worked. It worked when I wanted it to work exactly.
0: Because exactly. folks ain't hand, this we didn't have this disposable economy where you just go buy, out and buy a new things just because it's not working. That don't make no sense. That's correct. <laughs> Um, and we've all, and you're absolutely right. We've always had those things, and it never even dawned on me, even though it makes sense that there would be enslaved individuals in these various specialized jobs that needed to be, because Paul, uh, um, Paul, and Mama wasn't doing it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they were sitting in the in the house drinking, uh, you know, you know, whatever the hell they was sipping on mint juleps or whatever the hell. I just have this now just popped in my head, gone with the wind. <laughs> I don't know why.
1: You know, a black bartender created the mint julep.
0: Of course, um, that's what. Yeah. Okay, so you fall. You know, I say all the time, that whiteness is not creative at all. No, They're absolutely not. They they have stolen, out- co-opted every everything that is about black mu- about music, about art, about. I mean, I can give them, I guess, you know, like the Renaissance and stuff, but I'm sure if there were Negroes around, they stole that from
1: us, too. Yeah, yeah. They to stole say- it from the Jews. They stole it from the Moors. Yes. They stole it from the Asians and the Persians. Like, yeah, yeah, that all that stuff. Look at Picasso. Picasso had to go to the uh, Asian Pacific, right? Yes. In order to be inspired by his stuff. Exactly.
0: Nah. So there's nothing unique or creative or... And so this was what gets me every time when I... When I start saying mediocre white dudes and they get so mad because I'm like, prove to me, show me, show me what the fuck you come up with because the things you come up with are just asinine. Who the fuck, or what, what, why do we have all these scooter companies? What is that about? I, why do we have all these damn scooter companies? We have no sidewalks. What are you doing? Right.
1: <laughs> You're trying to get people killed.
0: Yes. I mean, it, by universities, makes sense. I mean, they, you know, they want to scoot around. Good. All right. But that's not a must have. That is a nice to have. That is a, you know, mm-hmm. something... Some little, you know, to get to your next class. But when you have five or six different scooter companies competing in a city with no sidewalks, that means people have not even thought about what kind of create what, what were you thinking? Um, Their only
1: creativity is around financial instruments, and they're really
0: oh, oh, oh ISAs, right. boys. They can come right. up with some. They can come up with some they're way really to scam do that,
1: that, <laughs> that type of exploitation. But no technological yes. stuff. Yes,
0: um, and I you speak to, and I want to know because I. So I was talking to um, had a show with Digital Sister. And we never got back to this. Do you? And she says, and other people say, but I want to see. I want to, some proof of it. Do you know who the black person who created Twitter was? No, I need to find out from her because she says the black guy who created Twitter, and they, and I don't know if he worked for Twitter, and then they took it and went into another direction or what. But I really want to know about that because um, how she explained it was the fact that um a lot of the issues that twitter has now were because they took just basically you know like the code like we always do without the lived experience and didn't think about some of the some of the um harm that could be that could that because they don't have that lived experience um so that just meant your question your thing just made me think about that i need to find out if anybody who's listening to this has any information on who this Black person is, could you please um, send it to me? Because I would really like to know and tell that story.
1: Uh, I'd like to know too. In the book, I talk a lot about the Twitter's origins. Uh, I have one of the first articles that came out about it. So I've always been interested in it. What I found while digging deeper in the research I needed to get done was that there were a group of engineers who were concerned around keeping activists in communication around the 2004 Democratic Convention. And so they came up with this uh, software, this uh, messaging software called TextMob, T-X-T-M-O-B. And it allowed activists to go around radio networks and keep in touch with people while they were spread across a location, say, New York City Hall or Atlanta City Hall, where you might be out of the line of sight, but you could communicate with one another using your phone, or which had a small browser on it to keep in touch. And those text mob employees went to Twitter. A lot of those guys were employed at Twitter, did presentations for them. And so Twitter has this capacity built in for distributed communication around authorities. Like that's one of its essential qualities. What it's never had built in, and I can see why somebody would say a black man is um, responsible for it, but white people mess it up. Twitter has never really had moderation capacity built in. And anytime you have a network that allows anybody on it, including bad actors, you need to also build in a robust moderation capacity to keep those bad actors from messing up the, the vibe. Right. And because Twitter has really fought hard to get venture capital funding in order to stay afloat, that can't that hasn't been their priority. Right. And so I would love to hear more of this. I'd love to integrate this into the stories I have. But I do know, at least from jump, those text mob engineers uh, and they weren't most of them were not uh, black. But they did have this activist mindset that helped us make Twitter what what it became for Ferguson, for Occupy, for Arab Spring and for Black Lives Matter as well.
0: It's so interesting that that was the the impetus behind it, you know, that 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 activism thing. Mm -hmm. And yet the people and that is about prioritizing the most vulnerable. That's about looking at social justice issues. And yet those are the people who get harmed the most on this platform. Yeah. Yeah. and That's an interesting. uh, uh, outcome of of this, which I guess I shouldn't say it's interesting because nothing surprises me anymore. But it is an interesting outcome, knowing that that was the intent is to connect um, activists, and activists are the first ones that get deep, de- the deplatformed, or
1: silenced. <laughs> There's definitely something about Twitter's moderation policies and algorithms now that works really hard against brown folk,
0: mm-hmm. right? You
1: can tell that they thought they were implementing colorblind policies. But if a Nazi says to me, something to me and I say, fuck off and die to a Nazi, I'm, I'm the one who gets shut exactly. down. Because Twitter has this really banal, not banal, this really limited understanding of what it means to be in discourse and how to how to talk back to somebody who's being harassing to you? The initial act is not harassing, but my response is, and that's a problem. But that's not a a, a, a Twitter problem. That's an online communication problem on every platform.
0: Oh, most definitely. That's that's that every every um, every voice or every yeah, is equal bullshit. Exactly. And I and this is why I have a problem. I have a problem with equality versus yeah. equity. My voice should weigh more than the average white dude on tape. Sorry, that's just how I feel. You know, I should I should get ten points for every time they open a goddamn their mouth to say one word. I should get it should be a one to ten ratio in my favor because people are gonna listen to them be by careful. default. I mean, that's just how it is. It's, 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 they're gonna listen to them by default. So any, even my ten words mean absolutely nothing. Be careful
1: <laughs> though, because then you're letting people in like Carrie Hillson. Who apparently discovered on YouTube that 5G cellular phone uh, transmissions help to cause the coronavirus. So every every brown every skin folk ain't the type of person you need to listen to. Well, got, well
0: that but that to me behind, right? but to me that that is different from okay, let me let me let me tease this out because you just challenged me with that. And I just need it because I have it in my head. So to me, that is, I, I totally agree with you. Let me put a pin on that. Totally agree with you. And yet that is different to me than that's a whole bunch of ignorance who, okay, okay, let me, let me, let me say this. Cause this reminds me of when people are talking about, cause people want to say how like a uh, Candace Owens and Ned Diamond and whatever. I can't ever remember their names. Uh, um, yes. and um, yeah, They would not be well, who they are. If it weren't for white folks, black people would have shut that shit down. Cause we always have had people like that in our communities. We know how to handle them. We don't give them the mic. We um, we we we. It's like eh, we 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 handle that. But what but what happened is they figured out a way. And 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 I'm gonna be honest. I I can't I can't fault them for it. They been a way to. I can't knock the hustle. I, Exactly. I can't knock the hustle for them figuring out a way to get white people to listen to their ass and pay for them. Because people like us, we we t- we sit having the righteous fight, and we trying to figure out how to get paid. You know what I'm saying? So. I can't get them for that. So, Carrie Hilson saying whatever, there's always ignorance, period. There's always that. I was speaking specifically to um, the fact that whiteness by default is always believed. And, and mm-hmm. we have to come in with receipts and finished products that make them profit and all these other things. And they can go from idea to IPO and never make a dime just on idea.
1: Yep, darn us.
0: And so, uh, oh, Lord, I have mercy. <laughs> and she's still, now, and now, even in this time of um, COVID-19, people are, asked, uh, are saying, well, I wish uh, this would have been great time for her. Pr-. So she's still seen as, as being touted as some hero, even though that shit that she said did not work, was not going to work. But people are still mm-hmm. looking to her to be, you know, like this savior and vindication, because she had a great idea. Um... And that is just not what happens with us. So, I want to. So, yes, Carrie Hilson needs to shut the fuck up. Um, And yet, we've always had people in our community that just need to shut the fuck up. It's just like, just go sit and go sit down. Just go sit down somewhere. Um, And yet, we get to amplify those voices, get amplified. But her voice getting amplified is not the same as when you have a Bette Midler or Alyssa Milano or. A um um Rogan, all these people saying shit that's just ass wrong. And then when you clap back at them, you get attacked because their opinions are ass wrong because they come out of no lived experience. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. only people are gonna clap back about Carrie Hilson are black folks. It ain't gonna be right. <laughs>
1: White people don't even know exactly who
0: is. exactly. So she's gonna cause harm for the people who listen to her. But then and then I, I wanna but then let me pull this out. How, how powerful is her voice compared to a Rush Limbaugh who say the same shit? There is no comparison.
1: No, there's no comparison. Uh, and the way that whiteness builds out networks to support and represent its views is, has been something we dealt with forever. Uh, I started, again, I started writing this in the early 2000s. And at the time, we were looking at blogs. Right. And there are a number of blogs. Jack and Joe Politics came out of that. Um, Gene Denby and Jamel Bowie came out of a blog called Post Bougie. Um, there are a whole host of blogs that have spawned a lot of the journal- journalists that we know that are popular today. And at the time, they were complaining because whiteness magnified the voices of a few prominent white male bloggers who have particular political opinions. And so the opinions of these folk, uh, some of them were doing great political work, like Gina McCauley of What About Our Daughters. Um, they were doing great political work to support. Uh, fights against social injustice, but their voices weren't being heard because white folk had no interest in listening to the things that they had to say. So, I don't know if we'll ever have a black person besides Beyonce that has the audience and reach, um, that our most critical intellectual think think that has audience, the, the reach of the stupidest white man. Let me finish that first. <laughs> right. because the stupidest white man will be able to appeal to xenophobia, uh, um misogyny and uh, the American, the misguided principles of the American dream, you know, like our president, right? And then attract audiences of people who want that world to exist and say, that we'll make America great again. And anytime a black person who's sufficiently critical and radical speaks up against that, they are contradicting the values that white folk desperately cling to.
0: To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag causeascene.com.
1: The values that white folks desperately cling Mm -hmm. to, so they they will never be as popular. I think it's kind of it's kind of out of pocket to even want them to be as popular, because if they do get too popular, look what happened to Malcolm and Mark. Oh, yeah. I tell people I ain't trying to be a martyr for this shit. Uh, (laughs) But there's the physical violence. You talk to folk like Gina McCauley, you talk to LaToya Peterson who used to run Racialicious, you talk to a whole host, the young woman who used to run um, for Harriet or Black Girl Dangerous, I'm sorry. right? You get burned out doing that work. Exactly, and that's why I I tell
0: people I'm very strategic about the work I do. There is a lot of engagement I do not actively participate in on Twitter that I just, in my soul, want to say something. But I was like, nope, this Mm -hmm. does not fit my strategy. I do not need to go down this road because... Ah shooting right. it's like shooting buckshot. You're just trying to hit everything because it's
1: everything. Trying to hit everything. because
0: every day, cause I remember when I first started hashtag cause the scene, it, it was I thought it was my role to be, you know, on here on there, every day engaging with anybody who says anything to me. And I was and it took me a while because again, I'm an educator. So I came right. I mean, from a perspective. I'm trying to educate my community. so let them experience see this. And then I realized I was making myself a target. I was causing actively causing myself- harm so that white people can learn. And I was like, fuck this. <laughs> and, and, and I say it constantly. It's like, it's a shame that we have to be actively in pain for them to understand that we're not having the same lived experience, for them to even believe that we're not having the same lived experience. And this is when I say that I'm not being a martyr for this work. It's not just the physical. It is Black women are killing themselves trying to hold up the sky. And I'm not going to be doing I'm not doing the high blood pressure, diabetes, the, 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 um, the depression. Oh, I see so much depression in our community.
1: And anxiety. Yes. yes. And I'm not,
0: I, and I'm not doing, I'm just, I am going to rail against everything that looks like that in my life. And if that means cussing y'all out on a daily basis, so I get this shit out, that's what I'm going to (laughs) do. Um, if that means that I'm going to tell you fuck off it's none of your business. I don't need to talk to you. That's what I'm going to do. I never used to block people. I block the hell out of people now. Because again, I'm the educator thinking that everybody had need to have access. But then again, that's that black woman thing, you know. Like I need everybody, you know. I'm gonna take nope, can't do that. I have, I have created I have, I have access. created a bubble, and I love my echo chamber, and it has been mm. such a nice breathing space um, to be in. And people think, people think about echo chambers as if you know you don't learn anything. No, I know a lot, and I know how to go outside this and get the research I need. What I don't want mm-hmm. need to have is a whole bunch of toxic relationships online. That's what I don't need to
1: have. <laughs> Great. Okay. And I push back against the concept of echo chambers, too, and I got uh, supported in this. There was a study done by Pew Internet uh, a couple of years ago, and they found that black people, when they're online, tend to see and post stuff about race three times more than white people do right? And that doesn't make it an echo chamber. In many ways, that's that concerns both our desire to be seen as human and our navigation of white supremacy. That doesn't make it an echo chamber because that's the, the content I choose to engage with, right? And so I, it goes back to, I don't know if you remember back in the day, Beverly Daniel Tatum and her book, Why Do All the Black Kids Sit mm. Together in the Cafeteria? Because you motherfuckers are racist. <laughs> It's a space where we can protect ourselves, where we can enjoy ourselves without having to look over our shoulders to see who's trying to play us or who's trying to treat us at, at that moment. And so, no, echo chambers to me is a specifically, is a. I mean, there are black people who do put themselves in echo chambers. And I'm specifically thinking of like the Hotels, yeah, oh, the yeah, Bayston, yeah, 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 the yeah. Umar and um, cool. Right. But there's also, there's also bourgeois echo chambers too, right? Uh, but those echo chambers are still not as... Um, Impenetrable as the ones that white people have erected to shield themselves from the causes of the injustice that they've done, right? The and it's injustice. interesting
0: that you um, thank you for teasing that out some more because it's also again a question of equality versus e- equity. Because and this is why I do not like fundamentally do not like uh, whisper networks. I understand that they provide us they provide a um, a service a, a, for for protection. what i found and you just hit the nail on the head is who gets to be a part of echo chambers are the ones that end up being protected and because you individuals who are privileged enough to be in these echo chambers know about these individuals who cause harm and the rest of us are ignorant we get caused harm because we don't know about these damn people
1: Right, the whisper networks we have no access to because we don't look right.
0: Exactly, and so they, so they still are about whiteness, and most of them, most of them, even in the ones that are about women, are, are fundamentally about white women, and so we still get left out and get harmed in, in whiteness trying to protect itself, and this is why I, I just right now we're in the coronavirus um, saga of the coronavirus and I'm going to say right. something that I'm, and then I know people are going to get pissed off about, but fuck it. That's what I do. Um, I'm not feeling. I, okay. Let me, let me start by saying this. I care about humanity. If my work has not proven that to you, it's nothing I can say else I can say, but what I do not have right now is a whole lot of patience and compassion for a b- whole bunch of white people who decided now that things are tapping on their door, now everybody mm-hmm. needs to be fucking concerned. Nope, nope. Mm-hmm. The fact that you've decided that you you spent the last, and this is before Trump, and this is what gets on my nerves, it's not about Trump. It's, it's a, about a strategy that's been no. in place
1: forever. Since the Southern strategy, since before exactly. that. Exactly, and so
0: when you spend your waking hours watching a television station that only um, is the default of whiteness and, and denigrates everyone else, and it's done that by 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 being less than truthful in the majority of the times. And then when there's a pandemic, hey, mm-hmm. um, now you go to the grocery store after everybody else and clean it out because we've been watching other shit and we knew shit was coming and there's nothing for you on the shelves. You know what? I just... You know, hey, do what you do, boo, because that's what black people had. That's how why the fuck I like chitlins, because that's what the fuck they gave us. You know what I'm saying?
1: Right. We used to get oxtails so till everybody else exactly. discovered those too. So
0: so you know what? And that's what I say. Whiteness is not used to, they don't have the skills, these coping resiliency skills that we have. Um, to so we can make a, you know, what they say, a dollar out of 15 cents. And so I just mm-hmm. don't, if you ain't got no toilet paper to wipe your ass, take a shower. I don't know what to tell you. Um, I, right. don't feel, I don't feel I'm just really not feeling much compassion and that might come hard to people, but I don't see many of these people as the most vulnerable. This is a choice that white people use have cho- made that fundamentally they have sided against their own interest in order to harm people that look like me. So fuck y'all. And I just, I just, I just don't have it in me and I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm not going to justify it, but I'm not going to do, I'm not going to raise my hand to help you. I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is look for the most vulnerable and help them out. But you no, no, that's a choice. Yeah. I just, I just, I, I'm, I'm seeing so much of that right now. And this is where we are getting the pushback on like the, the, the um, primary results you know, everybody wants to blame Black low-information um, voters. No, these damn voters aren't low-information. They just know good and damn well that these not white folks people. ain't about to vote for no damn progressive ticket that, first of all, does has no damn identified implementation, implementation right. strategy. I just have to see a whole bunch of ideas and talking points.
1: Which we know are not going to make it through a, a political uh, legislation session. Not
0: exactly. So so Black people are voting, as we always do, for the interests of ours, because we're at the bottom we need to make sure that we're at least trying to cover our parts of ourselves because we're gonna be harmed no matter what whoever the hell this president is gonna be next we're gonna be harmed because no one is fundamentally an anti-racist candidate here so um it's always been a, a calculated pragmatic strategy yeah. for yeah. us and yeah. these people want to act like oh they're just no 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 it's because of y'all sorry asses we know good and well that you can be in yoga and be as Progressive as liberal as you want to, but as soon as you go into that voting booth, that's not what the hell you are gonna vote for.
1: Mm -hmm. That's what happened in twenty sixteen. They said they was gonna do one thing, and got in that booth, did something altogether.
0: And 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 refused to take credit for that. They refuse to say that they are the ones who elected this person in. It's everybody's fault but whiteness that this person was elected.
1: I'm with you there. Uh,
0: So tell me about your work specifically. How did you? What's your background? How did you get to tech? and what are because there are very few black students, I would think, <laughs> in computer science. There's a lot of Indians and a lot of white folks, but um uh, very few blacks. So tell me what tell me that journey.
1: okay, so let me let me clarify because I don't want the computing folk to jump down my throat. Uh, I am not in computer science. I have a degree in information science from Illinois, uh, but I'm currently in a communications program uh, where Illinois, uh, uh,
0: Illinois University of Illinois,
1: Illinois Champaign.
0: Oh, ah, okay. Mm-hmm. I spent one one year at um Carbondale before I had to come ooh, bring my ass Cardinal's back home. a mess, boy. Yes, 80, I went from a I went from a high school graduating class of eighty seven people mm-hmm. to Carbondale that had ten thousand folks and lost my fucking mind. Yes. Oh my god, I didn't I didn't know what a class was. I was ooh yes, those like were me. memories. <laughs>
1: memories. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you sound just like me. <laughs> um, so I'm in I, I the discipline I I claim is internet studies slash information studies. Um, I along with two other young women, uh, Susanna Morris and Joycelyn Wilson, were hired as part of a cluster hire for my department because the, uh, my dean uh, Dean Royster at Georgia Tech. Uh, was really uh, engaged and prescient enough to figure out that there's no reason why Georgia Tech in the middle of the black communities that it's plopped down in and a city as black as it is with a booming tech culture should not have people studying blackness and technology. So Susanna does Afrofuturism and black feminism. Joycelyn does hip hop and... Um, maker culture she actually has a 3d environment of a hip-hop studio and it serves as an archive and a studio where her students can go in and pull records off the virtual shelves and create mixes with them plus so we do dope shit basically
0: okay so uh, i'm gonna stop you right there because you will be connecting me to these two women so they can Absolutely. come on the
1: show right Absolutely. okay cool. yes
0: That's why I I mentioned their name. Yes, please. Okay, go ahead.
1: (laughs) Uh, I came to, so Georgia Tech is not my first job. Um, I was at Michigan before this and then at University of Iowa before that. Um, And so my degrees are in rhetoric and information science. My dissertation was uh, focused on something that I can't believe is 15 years now. Uh, When Hurricane Katrina's aftermath happened, and the media were talking about us as refugees versus evacuees or looters versus finders. I went online because I wanted to see how black people were responding to this particular, uh, framing of blackness and the time of catastrophe. Sounds familiar, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm,
0: mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And what I found was we were very much intent on recasting, uh, renegotiating and destroying these stereotypes. And we did it in these online spaces where, necessarily. People weren't actually seeing us at the time. Like many of these blogs that I studied had only a few hundred followers at most. Right. But it was really important for us to get out there because we saw the internet as a space, which finally allowed us to have a voice to challenge mainstream narrative. Oh and, my God. You know, yes. MSNBC. Right. So we've been,
0: oh my we've been doing God, yes. For a long time.
1: Right. My um, work since then, I've looked at other blogs such as on the New York Times. Uh, I've looked at uh, video games. I've looked at, um, Browsers, and I've looked at Twitter, uh, and the book that I just put out collects a lot of that work and tries to apply a theoretical frame to it. Like, what is it that I thought Black people were doing over these last twenty years that I've been studying them, right? And how do we understand that as a Black cyber culture, right? And so that's that's pretty, and that's pretty much why Tech picked me up because I was I was articulating this particular move um, because there there hasn't really been a lot of theorizing about what it means to be raced online. In many cases, what we talk about being race just stems from our previous positions where we're attempting to be resistant, or we're fighting off oppression, or we're getting commodified, right? Uh, but I wanted to talk about us in the sense that we do this because this is we see the world in different terms, right? We bring a joy to everything we do. We bring an energy to everything we do from across the diaspora, even if you go back to Africa, right? And the 54 countries in that continent, we do things differently, and we bring that particular Understanding mm-hmm. the world and time and space. And uh, uh, Zoe Samuzzi right now, one of my favorite young scholars, is talking about mutual aid societies, right? Where we, we band together to, to thrive in the, fo- in, the, in the face of hostile conditions. We bring all that to the web.
0: Oh, my word. OK, so you again said a whole mouthful. What so, I w- w- <laughs> yes, because it reminds me of someone reached out to me and I, I'm going to continue to tell this story, but I'm not going to um, identify this person. But someone reached out to me and said, Kim, have you had this problem in your advocacy? Because I don't actually see this as advocacy Where I guess it right. is. But it again, is technically, you say, right. But I see. Yeah. It's a yeah, well, it's my voice. It's like, mm-hmm. like you said, it's the internet. As long as I have an internet connection and a platform, mm-hmm. a blog or whatever, I get to say. I get to rewrite. I get to tell you what my experience is. Whiteness doesn't get to do it by the Exactly. Device. And so that's what the that's the huge thing is now we're challenging these narratives, and that's why that 1619 um um project is getting so crucial. much pushback. It was
1: crucial. Yes, yeah.
0: getting much pushback from white folks, white scholars, white historians, because when people want to. People want to act like it's so innocent. No, these white scholars are being uh, many of them pushing back because it it now upends the research they've been that doing. Correct, and so it's now talking about their pockets. So that's another story. But I I'm here because I have no other choice. I hear I'm here because I'm with I've always that. been an outspoken person. I'm here because I've always prioritize the most vulnerable i didn't have the language for it and once i started unpacking white supremacy i'm here because fuck you you don't get to say no more exactly That's the bottom line you just don't get to say anymore and as long again as long as you're not threatening my person i don't give a fuck what you say to me i don't live with you um you don't you're not informing my scholarship. You're not paying my bills because the people who are paying my bills are listening to this and waking up and not only realizing they're complicit in the harming of a great amount of people, vast amounts of people, but they don't have a clue on how to stop it. Mm-hmm. They, it that to me, and I tell people, I wouldn't want to be a white dude right now for shit. Y'all had <laughs> y'all, um, y'all are and I get it. I so get it. I just don't give a shit, but I get it. Um, because you do not, I would not want to know that my behavior is not just, not just hurting people, but actively causing harm and I not know how to stop it. That right there would be such a mindful for me because I tell people all the time, I have very few white friends, very few white friends, because I understand that whiteness is racist by design Design and cannot be trusted by default Mm -hmm. and even with the white friends that i have they are very conscious of i know that at some point in our relationship they will do something they will prioritize whiteness even if they do not intend to and i will be harmed that is something that have the, the people need to think about that my to have a relationship with you i understand that at some point you will intentionally or unintentionally harm me who the hell wants to to engage in a relationship like that? That is correct. I mean, hell, I, that's just like dating somebody or having a, you know, and saying, well, you know, I'm going to cheat on you. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm going, you know to you know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going, I'm going to, and I'm going to need you to forgive. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to make amends. And I'm going to start, but I'm going to do it again. I mean, mm-hmm. you may not know when it's coming. You may not know. You might go to the doctor and have a test and realize I gave you an STD, but hey, my bad. <laughs> 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 but yeah, that is, the, that is, I need people to understand that is the mental gymnastics I have to go through to have friendships with white people. This is not easy. And this is why I limit my contact with you. Because again, going back to our first, I'm not a martyr. I'm not going to continue. I already know this is what this relationship is going to be. I need to make sure that those people who I know are going to at some point harm me are at least conscious Hmm. of that, care about that and know how to try to make amends when that happens. That's the
1: calculation Kim is doing constantly. Right. And you can't depend on liberal white folk to do that on a regular basis.
0: Well, the liberal white folks me, are actually the ones who are just like bulls in the China shop. <laughs> I mean, if I, if I hear one more time something about your feelings or um, we need civility, um, I'm no longer responsible for your fucking feelings. If you have problems, you need to go get therapy like the rest of everybody else. That's not my issue. Um, and, and because I know I'm going to actively, actively try to cause you pain just so you can understand the, uh, just any pain you experience is just a small min- small minute portion of anything that we've ever experienced. And until you actively feel pain, which is what people are for, going back to my why I'm not really giving a shit about these people who missed the boat or didn't get the toilet paper um, when it comes to um, coronavirus is, you did not care until it bothered you. You did it, it, everything that this president has done this far, has been okie-dokie okay with you until it sat in your backyard.
1: It, it was oh, it was fuck black people until they started fucking white people. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. you go. And that's what I say. Yeah. Whiteness, yeah. White supremacy is the parasite that's now eating its host. And you don't know how to deal with this. It's been eating on our asses forever. It's now yeah.
1: eating the host. It's theirs too. They just hadn't realized
0: it. They- oh, exactly. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I say nobody escapes white supremacy unharmed. Nobody. It is designed to cause exponential chaos and harm. It never gets better. There is no bottom. So I'll need people to stop looking for the bottom. There is no end to this shit until we end, it, until we dismantle it. And going back to our candidates, not one damn candidate is fundamentally anti-racist who is committed to a fundamentally dismantling white supremacy. So to me, you're not progressive. I don't know. Are these things that people are talking about, oh, these are progressive candidates. Jesse Jackson and people before them were talking about the same shit back in the 80s. This is not progressive.
1: But Jesse did say one thing that I found really interesting. He got interviewed, I think recently, uh, because he endorsed, um, was it Sam? Bernie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Jesse said something I found interesting. He said, our people have always known that it's a long game. The, yes! The candidate that you endorse today may not get you to where you want to go, but as long as they're taking steps towards that goal, you work with them as long as you can until they betray you, then you move on to the next one. And so I don't, I don't play this purity shit. I don't I don't say, well, this person is is imperfect in these factors, so I can never support them. I'm like, what can you do for me? I'm like Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams took five million dollars of Bloomberg's money. And people tried to drag her. Guess where Bloomberg is? He out the race. Stacey got five million dollars.
0: Exactly. Right. Exactly. So Stacey played
1: the game. Right. And that's exactly. why I need more people to recognize that Um. that you get. It's called interest convergence. Derek Bell talked about this and faces at the bottom of the well, right? Understand that white people only get you as far as their interests converge with yours.
0: I'm now ready to articulate and to publicly share my need to shift from causing the scene. Currently this work, this push for equity, for minimizing harm, and for prioritizing the most vulnerable is collectively viewed by many as noise, bullying, Troublemaking as contrarian for controversy's sake, rather than what it is a necessary evolution for the overall health and well being of those who work for us, partner with us, buy from us, invest in us, and society as a whole. My focus from this day forward is to forge a path to welcoming and psychological safety in systems, institutions, and policies at scale. Because I will no longer put new wine into old wineskins. My team and I will be spending the next few months making the necessary changes to ensure that my new commitment to doing the proactive work of leading a movement, framed by the guiding principles and seen through an anti racist lens, strategically happens with a relaunch on Juneteenth. To be kept informed of our progress, please follow me on Twitter at KIMCRAYTON1. Kim Creighton one, and on our new Kim Creighton's Community Cafe Discord server. When I started #CauseAScene in 2019, it was out of my frustration that no one was listening. Now that you're listening, it's time to get to work. Thank you for the years of support, and I'll meet you on the other side. Have a wonderful day.
1: White people only get you as far as their interests converge with yours as long as you're aware of that and make sure you take the game to protect yourself you 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 support them while you can that's what with hashtag some causes of your resources. Is. You don't go is. all it is i'm doing this right? work
0: only because there are white people who support me i get it i said this when i first started i was going to speak at any conference um i was going to be your token because you paid for me to go to the conference. You paid for me to um, stay at the conference. And basically, they became many um, vacations for me. And it helped me with my strategy of amplifying my voice for me to get my, my message out there. It, it, as long as I and I was very conscious of we're lining here. I'm not going to fall in love with you. I don't care if you fall in love with me. It doesn't matter. We're working together on these things. Um, it is. It is, but we've always had to do that. They've, that's my point, they've never had to do that. To them, it's always been a love affair. For us, it is currently, we have two shitty ass uh, options.
1: Right, out of out of 23 crap options, like none of the options were perfect. And right. Exactly,
0: so now people are trying to decide, out of especially black folks, we've never had an ideal candidate. There is no ideal never. candidate for us, yet. And so it's like, you just, you make these calculated decisions. Whiteness has never had to do that, and so it's all new to them. It's all, for them; it's always been um, all or nothing. For us, there's always been a whole bunch of goddamn gray. Because you think about how we have to live our lives. We have, um, I say this constantly now, as I've been unpacking this. Family is the first place we learn to accept abuse in, as love, and that's really fucked up. Yeah. And yeah. and yet, in our communities, we've learned how to navigate those very toxic. People in our communities and families to, to, mm-hmm. to be safe. So that brings me back to Candace Owens and the Omarosas and all that. Because we've learned <laughs> how to navigate those folks. We've learned how to use them when we needed to, and 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 navigate around them. They've always been in our community. They've just always. they've
1: just
0: they've just never had the ears of white people because they didn't. Again, they didn't benefit white people. To, Candace Owens is not uh, independent. This is why I well, I challenge and ebram like we did um last year we did um how to be an anti racist we did that book club it was our first book book club selection now we're doing um white rage um but what, what one thing and Ken, Kendi said two things that he said in his book that I challenged one was that black people can be racist and the next thing he said was and i'm going to break that down the next thing he said was um I, I, yeah. That anti he wanted an anti-racist, anti-capitalist system. And I have a problem with both of those. First of all, let's break down black people cannot be racist because the only power black people have are the powers that a white system gives them mm-hmm. in, in service to whiteness. So he, he used um, uh, Obama as an excuse, uh, as a reason because he said he had power. Yes. He had power, but Look
1: how they shut him down from day three.
0: Yes, exactly. So he didn't have inherent power. They could t- they could they could put all the walls around his power to stop mm-hmm. him. Um, And so even with Candace Owens and the two ladies, the two sisters, whatever the hell, as soon as they're not playing the game, they're going to be gone. They're going to be dismissed. They don't have inherent power. So, no, they can be racist as hell. They could be prejudiced. I mean, I mean, prejudice is hell. They can. But they are not racist. They do not have inherent power. It is only power that is given to them that must be used in
1: service of white folks. Look at David Clark. David Clark is a perfect example. The former mayor up, I mean, sheriff up in Milwaukee, thought he was going to get a position with the Trump administration had one of the most the, one of the worst records for running a jail system in the country, second only to Joe Apayo down in uh, Phoenix, right? And he's still on Twitter as recently as this weekend talking about, y'all are foolish for letting the government tell you to go inside, uh, go inside. You need to go ahead and be, uh, be out and be free. This coronavirus is a hoax. And I'm just like, dude.
0: Well, yeah. Again, again, we've always had them kind of clowns in our
1: community. We've always had them clowns.
0: And so then the the other the other piece that is going to be where my research is when I finish school is the anti-racist anti-capitalism. I don't believe yet that that's the answer. I would like no. to see if we can have an anti-racist capitalist system because I I have.
1: Hold Bo. I gotta applaud you for that. I love.
0: Well, that's what my research is when I'm finished, and the book that I'm gonna be writing is um, "Redefining Capitalism Without White Supremacy," and the tagline is "The Economics of Being Anti-Racist." Because as I'm doing my research and I'm looking at Adam Smith, who is the you know the father of economics, mm-hmm. his two books, "The Moral Sentiment" and "Wealth of a Nation." were about moral economics. When you look at the definition of capitalism, it only is very simple. It's a theory about private, how private businesses should um, function in within the system. It is not inherently white supremacists. It's only that no. because that's the, those are the things, the mechanism Because
1: those are the white people who work on it.
0: Yes, those are the mechanisms we use to build this shit. So I don't want to, until we can say, until someone has done, and so fuck it, I'm going to do it
1: do that. Do I see that. this as
0: my life's work. I I want to see, I want to, this is a theory, it's a hypothesis, but I believe we can have an anti-racist capitalist system um, if we prioritize the most vulnerable. That's what that is.
1: I mean, if you look at Europe, Right, and the ways that they never had to worry about a copay. The the countries were already saying, We were going to give you a universal basic income to make it through this thing no evictions. If you don't have a job, we got you. Uh, We're not charging you for treatment. That is what ethical capitalism and Europe is flawed, right? Because Europe is in the process of denying a lot of those benefits to the people whose countries they colonized to get (laughs) from.
0: Yes, but
1: at the (laughs) same time, they're still enacting a model that's so much more powerful than what the United States is doing because they recognize that the citizens are the bulwark of a country. If you take care of your people, your country is taken care of. That's why them folks get six weeks of vacation. That's why them folks have a higher standard of living than we do, because they have shaped capitalism to be regulated by the government, and the government is regulating it on behalf of the citizenry. That's such an
0: important And and, and that is not socialism, people. That is not socialism. Um, but
1: that,
0: not I want to bring back because now that because uh, my ADHD brain just just went off on a tangent because it reminds me of like I was saying so this this white activist was saying Kim have you had people to come to you and say that you make everything about yourself and da 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 da, da. and I was like mm-hmm. no you're getting that because you're white um, because everything y'all do y'all y'all make it about the individual I don't get that because I talk about the community. There are, I could say this it hashtag cause and scene community belongs to Kim. I could do that because I'm the leader of it. But what would that get me? Every time I talk about, I talk about us as a community. We get there together. I use inclusive language because it's about us. But that's about being black also. We couldn't survive if we didn't have rent parties and everything else we did. If we didn't, if, you know, they didn't slaughter a hog and everybody came and everybody got eat parts eat of the bread. hog. Everybody eat. That's how we fucking survive. And this is where whiteness is going is having a problem because it has been told that it its individual efforts, successes are its own. And yet its its failure is somebody right. else's oh, fault. Oh, you mean like your president saying it's not his responsibility? Excuse me. I mean, this is the second time you said my president. <laughs> Okay. See. Yeah. Exactly. I'm gonna just shut your ass down with that. Because um, I I write his name with a small T. So don't.
1: It is... I, I only refer to him by his number. Uh...
0: <laughs> he he is uh, the president of the United States. I mean, that's the title, the role. Just like to me, he's just a CEO of a you know of a company. That that's the role, the job he has right now does not belong to me.
1: <laughs> I will say. Um that one of the projects I'm working on right now talks about the calcification, the codification of whiteness because of 45 tweets, right? Because of Twitter's unique space as a platform where multiple people get to see it and the influencers flock to it. So they repeat his stuff. He has this this oversized visibility as an avatar of white fragility and white angst, right? But I also am careful to place that in the context of the previous eight years where you started seeing white forces marshal against blackness early on, even though, you know, I love that scene in um, Get Out where a boy was like, if I'd have voted three times for Obama if I could. Right. But from the minute Obama stepped into office, there were forces already marshalling to limit his power, like we were just talking about. And I'm careful to place Trump in that context. Trump wouldn't be possible if liberals and progressives and racists hadn't banded together in the project of Almost white definitely. to try to limit the type of power that black people or type of uh, resources that black people could have. And Trump is just the manifestation of that push to the nth degree.
0: Well, I'm going to, one thing I'm just, I'm going to challenge you, you used it, but you use it in academic terms, so I'm not going to challenge you, I'm just going to extend it because I need people to understand. You use white fragility and you use white fragility in an academic term, which ex- which Robin DiAngelo um, meant was to use it as a term to explain the behaviors of white people when they became um Uncomfortable. I no longer recommend that book because, in the wilds, as we call it, in the real world, this theory, what it's, is what it's panning out to be, is an excuse for white people to do shitty stuff. Oh, I agree. And so um I understand it as a theory. And I, I thank you for using it as a theory because most people don't. Most people will use it as, oh, that's that, that just, that somebody's done something shitty. Oh, that's that just white fragility. No, 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 no. White fragility, what she did not talk about was there's a cause and effect. When white people feel, have their white fragility moments, there is an exponential harm on the back end that's the effect of that. And that's what people aren't talking about. Every time Becky cries because she got her feelings that hurt at work.
1: It causes us to recenter around Becky's emotions instead of the, the problem that she caused in the first.
0: And not only that though, the that's one part of the, uh, the, the the financial effect is Becky is now in HR and, and Shaquanda Kim or whoever can't get a raise, can't get a promotion because that shit's now on my record because Becky couldn't handle her shit, mm-hmm. and that's a piece that people aren't talking about. The effect when when people white folks get get feel attacked when they feel that way, that's not even attack. When they get uncomfortable, there is a negative action that happens from
1: that. So the theoretical framework I use takes advantage of D'Angelo's white fragility because it's something that people have latched onto, but I'm really centering my work on Du Bois. And Du Bois talks Mm. about the white world in 1940 and how they are unaware, even before Charles Mills started talking about epistemologies of ignorance. uh, Du Bois was already trying to figure out what it was that white people were holding onto uh, in order to build all this economic, I mean, not economic, this spiritual disquiet, this spiritual anger against their fear that they were being displaced from their place in the world. So I feel you. D'Angelo mm-hmm. is, not, is not enough.
0: And that's the thing. To me, D'Angelo is a great elementary school book for you to learn some language. It's for you to start seeing some stuff. But that's but what people are using that, they get the language and they think they're all woke and then they, that's, they don't go any further. It's a great beginner book. I and you, both of us, are on a dissertation level. Don't come with me, to me with no damn with no white fragility shit. I don't want that. No. You need to work through that shit with your therapist, not me. But yes, Du Bois, um, whoo, this got, okay everybody, this episode is going to go a little long. That's fine because I need you to talk, uh, I need you to unpack this Du Bois <laughs> conversation and then we'll show, pl- close out the show because I really want to understand what you mean by this. I okay. really need them to understand what you mean by this.
1: So let me let me circle around to it. I want to put this in the context in the context of technology. So, and when I, when I wanted to write about Black people and technology, remember I said earlier, I wanted to be sure that I was able to capture uh, our own resilience, and I hate that word too, mm-hmm. uh, uh, our, our excess of life, our joy, our capacity to be inventive and, uh, in all spaces, culturally, uh, technologically, and linguistically, right? Uh, And so I turned to Du Bois because Du Bois was early on with his uh, statement of double consciousness, which is which is I will not let you push back on double consciousness, because I think it's a really invaluable way of understanding that whole thing where you were talking about capitalism, not necessarily being an instrument of white supremacy. So for Du Bois, double consciousness really describes the fact that black people are constantly having to be the Sankofa bird. They're constantly looking back to remember who they were. Right. While constantly trying to look forward while navigating this fuckery that is white supremacy.
0: Oh, I wouldn't push back on that. Uh -uh. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) That's why I love history, because it helps. It helps us. um, So what we're seeing, what people are seeing now with this voting for Biden, again, I'm not telling you because I think both of them are shitty people. But what, what you're seeing with these voters is they go back and see these people have always said that this is what they want going back to suffrage and they've always thrown black folks under the bus under the i'm best. not gonna believe this shit so i'm gonna vote this way so go ahead i get it no 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 i totally get it
1: so du bois wrote three autobiographies during his lifetime because he lived to 96 years old the one i focus a lot of my work on is one called dusk of dawn and in it he has two chapters uh, actually dusk of dawn is a subtitle an autobiography of a race concept Right. And so he has two chapters in there that are really important for me. One is the white world and one is the color world within. And the white world is a couple of allegories where he has a conversation with these imaginary interlocutors and he talks to them about why is it they think that whiteness is superior for the first one. And then why is it that whiteness is so fucking upset on a regular basis to the second one? Right. And that second one is really interesting to me because it prefigures what D'Angelo is doing with white fragility because it takes piece by piece. It looks at whiteness. It looks at uh, Christianity. It looks at uh, socioeconomic status. It looks at masculinity and it looks at whiteness and says builds out this matrix of why white people are are constantly in fear of all these categories being violated. There's one more. America. Right. America is an imperial power. Right. And so Du Bois is really ahead of this game. Right. He's already looking at ways to, to try to understand the various what I call them in my book, libidinal moments, these precognitive energies that power the things that we do. Why these white folk are already being driven by this. The limitation of it is that he's primarily focused on a, a white middle class perspective. But that actually works for me. Right, because the default for internet is middle class, mm-hmm, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, and so it's really this powerful construct, right? Because Du Bois is very insistent that in order to understand the matrix that we've been thrown into, the kettle that we've been thrown into, we need to not only understand the fire and the, that's boiling, the fire that's burning, and the water that's boiling, but we need to understand how we got put in this pot in the first place. Yes, moment. that's whiteness, right? If you understand whiteness, you have a better understanding of why you're responding to certain things in the way you do. But for, crucially, for Du Bois, you also have to carve out a space to understand that you existed before whiteness. Yes, somebody else said this, and I can't remember who. But he's like, blackness only came into being when they took us out of the out of the continent. Mm-hmm. Right, but since that's where we are, it's a social construct that has real in, real influence and effect. Right, we need to understand what we've done to it, with it, and within it. And that's one of the
0: reasons why I I uh, I, I say whiteness. And I make that on parallel with blackness because no one's ever had um, white people have always had no problem with, my, you know, talking about black stuff, we, right. you know, where they're anti black they or whatever.
1: Right. They call the Irish dirty yeah. black people.
0: Yes. But but they we've never had conversations about whiteness. And so they, they get they get so offended when you call them white. You don't get offended by calling me black. Uh, and so I put them on the same level. I'm going to talk about whiteness just like you're going to talk about blackness.
1: Exactly. And so when I teach my critical race courses uh, here at Tech and elsewhere, I always start off with whiteness because it doesn't make sense to start off with what it means to be black. If I haven't talked about why blackness exists. Yes,
0: exactly. Woo! Exactly. Uh, white and blackness exists as an opposite of whiteness, which is the default. <laughs> and that's why it's so prevalent around the world. Why anti-blackness is so prevalent around the world, because everybody, the, the default is white. So the closer you can get to whatever white is and wherever you are. Is the is is the prize, and anything other than that, the closer you get to blackness globally, is 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 bad.
1: Right, and I will say, at least for that part, because I've had arguments with decolonial folk and ADOS folk. When, oh when you start looking at blackness and other concepts, other contexts, it becomes wrapped around this really complex idea of social class and labor, mm-hmm. right? But the end result is, as they've been introduced to Africans, is that it becomes tied once again to black bodies, Mm -hmm. right? So the Dalits uh, and the Tamils, right, in India are constantly uh, um, discriminated against, not because they're black, but because they fit the precepts of Mm -hmm. anti-blackness. Similarly in China, where they don't have a huge ton of dark-skinned people, but they do have darker-skinned people, that's one of the biggest markets for skin whitening creams. Exactly! Yes, right, so obviously yes. there's something to this concept, and
0: that's what I keep trying to tell people they, everybody, and this is this is my issue, and again, i am not I am not endorsing anybody, but this is my issue with Bernie Sanders. Everything is not about class no. if, if if you can't talk about race, then you can't talk about me you can't you can't center my needs, and you don't have a progressive movement Neither. and that's just my because the things you're talking about. And this is where I'll go back to, and we'll uh, sh- uh, kind of wrap up here. The things I talk about, what people are talking about, progressive now, people have talked about already. Right. The majority of the Democratic Party is is there. We believe that people have need health care and all those basic needs. That's not progressive anymore. Progressive is an at, fundamentally anti-racist. I'm. We are working on dismantling white supremacy. Candidate, and until we get that, I don't. I'm. I'm not going to be happy with anybody that that runs. Uh, for, for, um, Cause, office.
1: Cause trust me, if you, if you lift up black people, the lowest white people will already oh be God. ahead of us being lifted up in front. I mean, look at yeah. affirmative action. White women have been lifted up so yes. high by affirmative action. Right?
0: <laughs> but hot. yet, but yet, Asians want to, to say it's our fault that it, no, 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 no. Again, but that's that model minority and that's a whole nother that's conversation.
1: A whole nother, that's a whole nother hour at, that I will get
0: But you, that's, you exactly, read. but that's also about anti-blackness as well. Yes. So So, um, in your final moments, oh my God, what would you like to talk about? What would you like? To share,
1: so I just put out a book called Distributed Blackness. It's on NYU Press. For those of your listeners who may be interested in ordering it, if you go to NYU Press and order and, and pick up the title there, there's a discount available if you use the code BROCK30, Brock30. And Distributed Blackness is at this point my magnum opus. Uh, it represents about 15 years of thinking about what it means to be Black what it means to have an online identity and what it means to have be online, right? Those three things work together. And so in that way, it's kind of a unique take. It's different from the books by my outstanding colleagues like Sophia Noble and Charlton McIlwain and Ruha uh, Benjamin, all of whom have fabulous books on race and online and algorithms and the like. But mine differs from them because I try to also think through what it means to study the actions of the everyday. Right. So I talk a little bit about black girl magic. I, talk, I have a whole chapter devoted to the ratchet, right? Because I'm interested in the ways that we were ourselves before we, came, we got to online spaces and continued being ourselves mediated by the technological influence. So for those people who are interested in philosophy of technology, history of technology, African-American studies, information studies, like the list goes on, sociology, anthropology, communication studies, that book is the book for you. Distributed Blackness, NYU Press, uh, and it's awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much. This has been um, a phenomenal, phenomenal conversation. It's so funny because uh, oh, this is I went, really
1: fun. I really appreciate it.
0: <laughs> because my my podcast pro- um, producer, he says I can. I love when you talk to academics because y'all speak in paragraphs. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i mean what's the point of coming on here and be like yes yes no. <laughs> like this is the chance this is what we do this is what we love yes exactly
0: and so yeah i'm ready when i talk to you at um, um academics i really get excited about finishing my program up um and to getting started in, in in fundamentally looking at um a theory for anti-racist capitalists oh please
1: keep me posted yes. uh, i'm working with a, a academic at michigan now ron egglash who does work that you'd be interested in on ethno-mathematics and uh, ethno-technology, right? He looked at how cornrows are actually geometric fractal patterns, and he has a computer program that allows the students to design cornrow patterns and then put them, braid them into their friend's hair. He's, He's so dope. But he talks about this thing called generative justice. And it's the idea that while we talk about algorithmic justice and all these other, those concepts are not sufficient in order to provide the resources, spiritual, technological, community resources that we need in order to survive in today's modern society. So how do we generate? build structures that generate justice based outcomes and and goals for our people. It's it's dope shit.
0: Oh, well, I'll definitely be expecting you to contact me with three people um, that we've discussed on here <laughs> cuz um yeah.
1: And I expect to hear about your your, your dissertation defense too. Don't hold out on me.
0: Well, no, my 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 exact but see what's funny, so I'm getting a doctorate in business administration technology entrepreneurship and so my my doc study is on how do you share um, tacit knowledge within organizations? because we're in a knowledge economy, and how and 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 so this is why I tell people inclusion and diversity is not a nice to have. In a knowledge economy, it's a requirement for me to feel safe, have psychological safety, and feel welcomed uh, and included in the space if you want me to use my knowledge to help you build a product or service. Um, so write,
1: write this citation down. Mm-hmm. Of Frida, E L F R I D A, I think that's right, Chapman, C H A T M mm-hmm. A N. And her work is The Secret Life of Outsiders. And she talks about how outsiders have to navigate information structures. She was specifically focused on women who were previously inmates. Mm-hmm. how they had to communicate with each other to transmit concepts when they weren't supposed to mm-hmm. and how they built these shared knowledge patterns so it's a it's an inquiry into tacit knowledge right but tacit knowledge from the perspective of people who are not necessarily part of the system exactly yes
0: yes thank you You're and you well. wow this has been amazing thank you for being on the show thank you for inviting me have a wonderful day you do the same all right Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Call the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Call the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Call the Scene community. Just visit the website at com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.